I'm John Ellis. And I'm Rebecca Darst. From The Recount and iHeartRadio, it's the News Items Podcast. Every Monday through Thursday afternoon, we bring you news items from three major storylines disrupting modern life, a world in disarray, the financialization of everything, and advances in science and technology. And we also talk politics from time to time. We'll start with three news items, and then, after the break, we have an interview with oil and gas industry expert Andy LeBeau. Our first item, an influential analyst thinks Tesla's increased focus on power generation and batteries means its stock price will continue to skyrocket. Next, Microsoft announced on Monday that it's acquiring Nuance, the voice tech company that made Siri so good at listening to what you say. The purchase price? More than $16 billion. In cash. And third, a former U.S. commander says Russia's real motivation behind a mounting standoff with Ukraine is control of the Black Sea's coast. Then, after the break, we hear from our guest Sandy LeBeau about the absolutely insane ride the oil markets have been on in the past year and what could come next. And as usual, we'll close with important headlines from the world of science and tech. All right, let's get to the items. Our top news item comes from our financialization of everything storyline, and it's good news for Tesla, potentially. Financial services firm Canaccord Genuity is bullish on Tesla's energy generation and storage business, saying the company is set to, quote, attack and conquer, end quote, another trillion dollar market. Tesla's presence in the market isn't new. They launched their battery storage unit back in 2015. But what is new is Canaccord Genuity's vote of confidence. One of their analysts upgraded the stock to buy from hold on Monday and gave it one of Wall Street's highest price targets. Is that a big deal? Well, they had a hold rating on the stock previously and a price target of $419. So the stock is, I think, trading around $690 right now. And they have raised their price target to $1,071. So that implies 60% upside from current levels. Not the highest valuation on, on the stock. That, that honor goes to Kathy Wood from ARK Investment Management, as you know, who has made the infamous $3,000 Tesla call by 2025. Right. So there's the shift from hold to buy. There's the price target in excess of $1,000, and there's the driver for the price move, according to Canaccord Genuity's analyst, which is the potential earnings power of its battery storage business. Their analysts say there's a they've got a multi-year head start on the business, and that, it, I mean, it would suggest that it's about to blow up, let's say. Do we think that's true? Do, they, do we think they have a multi-year early mover advantage? There have been a number of battery storage deals in the past year plus. And Blackstone bought a Canadian company called NR Store, which has been uh, you know, a pioneer in residential and industrial applications for battery storage. But private equity has been very active in energy as a service solutions for renewable energy. So it's an, I mean, it's an area that's attracting a lot of investment. But then there's a question about the value, you know, whether Tesla stock will will break above $1,000 based on this revenue driver alone. But late last month, Apple announced that it is opening a 240 megawatt hour capacity renewable energy station in California and that it will be using Tesla's Megapack at its solar farm. So that may have been sort of the catalyst for the sudden bullish call on Tesla that is poised to uh, break out. Yeah, to break out. Well, that makes sense, right? I mean, arguably the greatest company in the world chooses your product. That's, that's a terrific endorsement, right? This price level... This multiple would value Tesla's stock and net debt at 63 times its projected 2024 earnings. 
compared to the average multiple of a group of Tesla competitors, which has a multiple of three, three times 2024 earnings. The power of brand. I mean, look, never say never. We'll never say never with Elon Musk, that's for sure. Yeah. All right, we move on. Next, in our advances in science and tech storyline, Microsoft made its second biggest ever acquisition on Monday, buying Nuance in an all-cash transaction that gives the company an equity value of $16 billion. Healthcare is the focus of the acquisition, Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella told CNBC on Monday. Nuance's Dragon Medical One platform, which identifies medical terms, is reportedly used in three-quarters of U.S. hospitals already. John, I know you have a long-standing fascination with voice technology. What is your take on Nuance, and what is Microsoft gaining here? From Microsoft's point of view, it probably needs to double revenue in the next 10 years to maintain its stock price. And in order to do that, they have to enter into fields that are enormous in terms of what you might call global revenues. And two of those fields obviously are healthcare and financial services. This is the second largest acquisition it's made in its history, second only to LinkedIn, just to put that in some perspective. And the purchase price, all cash, was a 23% premium to Friday's closing price. Just to give a sense of the value that Microsoft identifies in this application and not as a on not across multiples but specifically in healthcare where 2 years ago it launched a JV with Nuance for AI applications in healthcare. I think that it was mostly a an administrative sort of voice <laughs> right. When I think about some of the disasters I've had with like uh you know Siri, no Siri, I said, you know, I don't know, Citrus, not Circus, you know. <laughs> so I'm like <laughs> You don't want those kind of mistakes in healthcare, right? Right. I mean, right. You think about the kind of, uh, you know, the capacity for, you know, high performance AI applications that uh, Microsoft sees there. I mean, it's a big, uh, it's a big tell on where it sees the highest impact applications. Let's say for voice technology and healthcare. It's not surprising that Microsoft has gone into this space. And what is surprising, and I think stunning, is how far advanced the technology is. The rough overview is that if you were to capture the voices of 100 million people and you were to cross-reference that to all of their various health and medical issues, you would be able, with a great deal of accuracy, to predict and to say, not just predict, but to say, this person has breast cancer, this person seems to be in the early stages of lung cancer. And as you gather billions of voices and cross-reference those billions of voices against billions of medical records and histories, you're beginning to talk about the possibility, say 10 years from now, of simply calling in to a computer and saying, this is my annual, quote, physical, end quote, except it's not. It's your annual vocal. And the computer spits back in record time an analysis of your general health, but also some predictions as to where you might be going. All of this is enabled by the fact that we all have biomarkers in our voices, and it's the technology is agnostic. It can hear those biomarkers if you speak Arabic or Russian or Chinese or English. 
So it's astonishing technology, and Microsoft will not be the last company to buy into it and to seek to exploit it. Heard it on news items first. Heard it is first. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Are we moving on? We are. We've exhausted diagnostics. (laughs) Diagnosed with uh, exhaustion from item number two. Moving over to our world in disarray storyline. A former U.S. commander says Russia's ambition may be to control the entire coast of the Black Sea. John, we talked last week about the buildup of Russian troops and military vehicles at the Ukrainian border. Over the weekend, the former commander of U.S. Army Europe, Ben Hodges, said in an interview with Ukraine's Espresso TV that Russia's main goal is to isolate Ukraine from the Black Sea. John, what is going on here? Everybody is sort of poking the bear to see what the bear will do, the bear being the United States. Uh, Not Um, the Russian bear. But taking control of access to the Black Sea is a major development and one that could be just sort of probe and response and nothing comes of it. It could also become a major flashpoint, which is why we're paying attention to it. Okay. So let's talk about a little about Ben Hodges. Is he suggesting that this is newly a geopolitical priority for Russia or that Russia's uh, military engagement with Ukraine has been sort of an ongoing diversion that would keep its rival powers distracted while it makes preparations to take the Black Sea coast? I think the latter. The, the thing about the, the Kremlin or you know the Putin regime is that mm-hmm. getting control of, of the Black Sea has been a long-term goal of this regime. And mm-hmm. I just finally said it. But it's not something that we're going to learn the outcome of in a week or a month or maybe even a year. It's an incremental takeover, if you will. And, you know, the U.S. sending some warships into the Black Sea, how long is that sustainable? You know, what are the supply lines, et cetera? It seems to me that if the Russians go slowly enough, they can get done what they want to get done. So Ben Hodges is predicting military skirmishes slash war over this action, is he not? What would a war like that look like? I have no idea. I was surprised that he said that um, yeah. because it doesn't seem – I don't think Russia wants war. Yeah, then stop doing that. Now that he's president for life, I think Putin has a longer time frame. Mm-hmm. I think what he was doing uh, was – raising an alarm, throwing mm-hmm. up a red flag to make people pay attention to what was going on in the Black Sea. I don't think, maybe I'm crazy, but I don't think that war is would make sense for the Russians. Were you surprised that he unearthed this revelation or gave voice to this revelation on Ukrainian television? Very. Um, this is the kind of thing you would, you would expect <laughs> to hear at the Navy War College or right. at some think tank in Washington. I was very surprised when I read it this morning. But then I thought, you know, maybe that's the point. Maybe because he did it with the organization that he did it with, that it would somehow get more attention, which it did, actually. Well, I mean, it's a, it's it's certainly a very unsettling story. And again, I mean, we have to return to these questions of what, you know, who would, who are the players and what is the prize, right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Stay tuned. That's a wrap on our news items for today. Next, we have an interview between Rebecca and Andy LeBeau of Commodity Research Group on the turmoil the oil market has gone through in the last year and what might come next. 
John, I'm really excited to be able to share my conversation with Andy, with you and all of our listeners. As you know, in the oil markets, we went from negative oil prices last year to some analyst calls for an oil-led commodity super cycle. How are we supposed to make heads or tails out of this crazy price action in the oil market? So Andy broke it down for us. He's been in the oil markets for many decades. All right. We'll take a quick break, and then we'll hear the conversation between Rebecca and Andy. From an all-time low of negative 40 in April 2020 to $60 to $70 for WTI crude, there's been no shortage of headline risks and other risks in the oil markets. In order to make heads or tails of what's happening in this key global commodity, I'm turning to Andy LeBeau. He is a principal at Commodity Research Group here in Connecticut, where he advises institutional clients on the use of futures and options to hedge energy commodity exposures in the global markets. He is also an OG from Shearson Lehman Brothers, where he worked in the initial formulation and marketing of the NYMEX WTI crude contract in 1983, as well as the gas contract in 1985. Andy is very well known as an energy market analyst and is quoted frequently in the financial press, having appeared on CNBC, NBC, CNN, CBS, and PBS, and is a repeated feature guest on Investable Universe. Andy, welcome to News Items. Thanks, Rebecca. And uh, thank you to News Item for having me on. Andy, how crazy has the oil market been in the past 12 months? Out of my 30 plus years of experience, actually 40 plus years of experience, I'd have to say that 2020 into 2021 was the single craziest 12 months that I've ever seen. And 2020 alone was one for the books. And it looks like 2021 is, well, nowhere near 2020. Mm-hmm. You, know, you, you never know. We're off, to, we're off to quite a start. So, Andy, just to kind of set the table in a very simple way here for our listeners who may not have a lot of familiarity or or be conversant in the oil markets, what are the kind of supply and demand dynamics affecting price that people need to know to understand what's going on in the oil market right now? On the supply side, a big factor is, is still OPEC and still Saudi Arabia and the U.S. We have become in the last 15 years, one of the big producers in the world. On the demand side, clearly the major factor has been COVID. Now, when we talk about demand, we talk about transport fuels like gasoline, like Mm -hmm. diesel, like jet fuel. And obviously those were all crushed in 2020 because of the pandemic. Now we're beginning to grow as we move out of it. And that's what we're watching along with the growth in uh, global GDP. So last time you and I spoke, we were in bizarro land in the oil markets. The Saudis were flooding the market with crude oil at the very time that demand had been shocked due to COVID. We fast forward a year. It's almost as if that price shock never happened. And then at last week's OPEC meeting, news that the Saudis were supporting an increase in supply pushed Brent crude prices higher, not lower. What is going on in the oil market, Andy? Right now, we have a very interesting change in the dynamic of the market, a change that goes back to the 1980s and 1990s, actually, where the Saudis have really become the true swing producer. Uh And what OPEC Plus is now doing is they're meeting every month. And I have to say, 
they've been really successful at managing the market mm-hmm. by reducing supplies, by adding supplies. They're looking at their models and they're making month-to-month changes. Yeah. And uh, of course, they've been helped remarkably by the government stimulus has certainly helped on the demand side. The vaccines, oh my goodness. I mean, yeah. that's been a, a huge help. And they have taken supplies off and, and added supplies and, and continue to really surprise the market. Talk to me about the emergence of a new risk factor in the form of Iran. Well, Iran is going to be a big factor as we move ahead into uh, the second half of 2021. It's already become a big factor because their exports to China have mm-hmm. jumped from, I think in November, they were maybe 300,000 barrels a day. And then mm-hmm. last March, they were probably over a million barrels a day. It's unclear whether that's coming from storage. It doesn't look like it's coming from higher production. But yeah, as as their floating storage decreases, they're going to have to increase production. It will be a major factor. And of course, China is, you know, they're not supposed to be importing no. any crude from Iran. You know, that's a sanction. Yeah, but they're doing it anyway. Right. So that's a sanction. Right. So in, in terms of the uh, of Iran's dramatic ramp up in exports to China in March, is the Biden administration sort of quietly turning a blind eye to that kind of activity? Because they surely they must be aware of it. No, they're all over. That's got to be part of, you know, I'm sure, uh, back channels. So I can't imagine that they're just burying their heads in the sand about it. You know, I don't know that yeah. 100%. Yeah. But you know, when you increase from 300 to 1.2, uh-huh. that's got to draw attention. I mean, if, for foreign companies to persist in doing something so brazen, it would, would suggest to me that they're not particularly afraid of the fallout or of any consequence. Uh, it, it looks that way. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it, def- it definitely looks yeah. that way. You know, the other talk about brazen, what they do is the, the ships from Iran turn off their transponders so they can't be followed by um, satellites. So they turn those off and then either, you know, use a middleman with the UAE or some other middleman to move the barrels to China. So mm-hmm. China doesn't officially say they're from Iran. They got to switcheroo. Yeah. Yeah. However, they, they are tracked. So then you have a certain wild card in the form of Iran. <laughs> <laughs> that's affecting, uh, that, that's certainly going to have an impact on global energy markets. It's been conjectured that, you know, if the price of gasoline moves too high, that is something that could endanger or imperil a very fragile, or, or still, I suppose we call it still fragile, U.S. recovery. Help me understand what's going on in gasoline. Okay. Well, gasoline is really, it's so interesting. Last year, gasoline demand was down in the U.S. 1.3 million barrels a day. Sure. Uh, which is a, yeah, that's a huge yeah. amount. Yeah. It's going to be down still this year. Certainly what crushed gasoline demand, obviously, were the lockdowns. Yes. And employment. You know, you got you need a job to drive to and from. And the lockdowns hurt commuting demand and just hurt demand in general. And I think it was April. It was the lowest yeah. demand since the 70s. Now, gasoline demand is going to grow. Jobs are definitely improving. Uh Right. The question is, what gasoline price are we going to get to that really inhibits demand? Right. Usually it's three fifty to four dollars. 
So a gasoline price between 350 to 4 as an inhibitor for economic growth, that figure would come from relatively normal market conditions and not a market where people have been potentially depressed and jobless for a year plus, right? Right. You know, we also don't know what behavior is going to be. You know, right. are people going to go crazy this driving this summer? You know, they yeah. can't fly on vacations, you know, it's yeah. going to be animal spirits. We don't know. And, and are they going to be, you know, what are the variants? You know, are they going to be, yeah. I get the sense no, no governor is real anxious to lock down. Right. Now, it was conjectured that the subject of a phone call between Energy Secretary Jennifer Granholm and the Saudis was affordable energy prices and keeping energy prices affordable. So it would seem that that's something on the radar of the Biden administration. I mean, they regard this as something that could reasonably imperil the economic recovery and that the Saudis were receptive to those concerns. Right. They're certainly watching it. They don't want to see. Yeah. They don't want to see, see spiking gasoline prices. I'm sure in there. You know, I'm talking about the past, and that, that mm-hmm. was a good question you write. You, you said of about a year that we're yeah. all depressed that we can't, you know, yeah. <laughs> can't wait to just go somewhere. But, yeah, yeah, uh, well. That, that's a good point. Maybe it is closer. You know, maybe $3 could be somewhat problematic. Yeah. But, you know, I think people will, if they have jobs, they'll kick in that extra 25 or 50 cents a gallon to get to those jobs. Just to kind of wrap things up, are we just in an age of continuous oil disruption? Well, nothing will be like 2020. I don't think. I mean, I, trade I, don't, I don't want to say you know? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> nothing. Okay. Well, but maybe I shouldn't say that. Don't you say what? that. <laughs> nothing will be like that. 2020. Maybe, it, you yeah. know, you can never yeah. say never. So right. uh, never say never. I shouldn't really say that, but 2020 was one for the books. Andy, it's so good to see you. Thank you for talking to me today. Rebecca, thank you for having me on. I really enjoyed the conversation. And it is so great to see you again, albeit virtually. Virtually. Well, we'll meet in person very soon. I hope so. So as you heard in the interview, the area to watch for oil traders for the rest of this year, for the foreseeable future, is Iran. We'll keep an eye on that. I think Iran is always the place to watch. That's right, John. Let's move on to our science and tech headlines. First, President Biden has unveiled his budget outline for fiscal year 2022, and it includes a significant boost in science spending. Nature reports that the proposal raises core funding for R&D at nearly every major federal science agency. The CDC in particular would get a 23% boost to its budget compared to fiscal year 2021. Other expansions in science budgets are aimed at reducing the nation's carbon emissions, accelerating cancer treatment research, and investigating the disproportionately high rates of maternal mortality affecting Native American and Black women. A more complete budget proposal is expected in the coming weeks. It's terrific. Throwing money at science can only be seen as good news. That's right. Next, artificial intelligence may soon surpass our understanding of the cellular processes that lead to brain disease. Academics at the University of Cambridge fed an algorithm reams of data about how proteins fail in a way that leads to cancer or Alzheimer's. Through machine learning, the algorithm was then able to anticipate much of the knowledge that scientists already possess on the topic. The hope is that such algorithms will soon surpass human experts regarding the causes of disease and will in turn teach them about it. Instead of proving their worth by having their ideas check out with settled science— 
They'll make their own discoveries about brain diseases. The research was published by the National Academy of Sciences. And if you're a scientist, you're in favor of this because the machines will do the research and you get to take credit for it. That's, That's the way I would look at it. <laughs> My machines said this and uh, only I could have gotten them to say this. Mm -hmm. That's it from us today. Listeners, consider subscribing to John's newsletter, News Items. That's the original. Just Google News Items John Ellis Substack and that'll give you a prompt to subscribe to the newsletter where it all comes from. Well, you'll get the full stories and much deeper analysis from someone who has access to more information than probably anyone you know. And for more on the global market of things, go to Rebecca's website, investableuniverse.com. News Items is produced by Christian castro Russell, Pierre Bienname, Anna Mazarakis, and Ali Rogers. Our theme music was composed by Billy Libby. We'll be back tomorrow afternoon with more of the news from our three major storylines, the financialization of everything, a world in disarray, and advances in science and technology. See you then. <laughs>